Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm your host, Greg B., joined as always by Jacob. Hello. And today we're very pleased to welcome Daniel George of August Games to the program. How are you doing, Daniel? Hello! Thanks for having me on the show. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's our pleasure to have you. <laughs> Let's start off a little bit talking about who you are. We know Who that I am. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, first, most, I'm a lover of games, right? From role, role-playing, tabletop, card, gambling. I love all games. I've always <laughs> loved games. I, yeah, um, yeah. I've been gaming since, well, I'm older than you, uh, young gentlemen. I, I started probably, the first thing I actually played was Avalon Hill games in the late 70s. And then I really got into D&D in high school and... I chose D&D over dating, and I don't regret it. It was a wonderful time. I still have those same friends. I actually have the same D&D group for 36 years, I think. We're on for 36 wow. years. We, uh, we only play once a year yeah. now because everybody's moved around the country. And I guess I, my, I was heavily into role-playing role historical games. And then in college, I kind of developed more of a tabletop love. And I think like everybody else, once I started to see games like Carcassonne and stuff like I started to like open up to the Euro thing and, and I always made games, but it really like lit my passion and I really started to focus on making games and I've always made games for fun. I never had any plan of selling games or anything like that and uh it was still even 10 years ago i wasn't gonna do it and uh z-man pick, picked up a couple games i made and then i was like oh that was kind of cool and then um august games was born and now i finally decided that we were gonna run a kickstarter like everybody else in the world and that's kind of how i am now i've done many many games and most games never see the light of day but i always have fun <laughs> Right. So it's actually really interesting to hear you say, you know, that you've been designing games for a long time, some of them even without the intention of, of selling them, because one of the questions that I had for you as a game designer is, what's your process? Is it similar to, you know, people talk about when you write a novel, just get as much as you can on the page and worry about editing later? Is game design a similar sort of thing for you? Or like, what's your what's your process? That is a great question. Well, I, I also used to be into writing plays. And I felt like writing plays and game design have a lot in common. Number one, don't hold yourself to too high a standard. You're not going to make an amazing game the first time. Don't worry about if your game is too much like somebody else's game. Don't worry about it. Just make the game that you want to play. I tell that to everybody. Just it doesn't make a difference if it's like something else. Just make it and have fun with it. And it becomes like a muscle. I think that eventually the more you do it, the more you kind of get an understanding uh, fun for me. I'm a mathematical designer. Is that I build really good mathematical models, economic models, um, for every one of my games first. So it's funny. I have this mathematic side, and then I have a theme side. To me, theme is more important to me. I know it doesn't make any sense, but theme is really, really, really important. But then without math, if the mechanics are crappy, then theme doesn't matter. If that if that makes sense. So my methodology is I come up with an idea. And I think of themes that work, I mean, themes that work well with some, some mechanics I have in mind. And I would say 90% of the games I make, I never even show to another human being, maybe my <laughs> wife. Because um, I'm just, you know what I mean? And then one in 10, I think it's okay. And then I just have fun with it. And that's it. I guess, is that, does that answer your question, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's really inspiring to hear you say that, you know, because I personally have never wanted to get my feet wet with game design, but I know... Uh, Jacob has been moving towards designing his own game, uh, and it's 
from the outside looking in, it seemed like something that's really scary and really intimidating. So to hear you say that, you know, it's all mostly just about going at it and, and that it's okay if 90% of your games never see the light of day is, I think, something that's really encouraging for all those game designers out there. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I say this to everything about, I mean, I ha, you know, everything I do outside of, you know, making money to, you know, to feed my kids, you have to have fun. You have to have fun. Yeah. I mean, if you're not having fun doing it, don't do it. I've sometimes spent five years not making a game. I've had little periods of time where I do other things and I work on other projects. These last four years, I've just been exploding with games. I have so many ideas I can't even tell you. But don't, don't pressure yourself. Just you know, come up with something. I mean, I think the first designs I ever did was the original Axis and Allies. I think it was in the 80s, where we would just make our own rules up for it. I think there are a lot mm -hmm. of designers that start modifying existing games. Mm -hmm. You know, and then there's this point I think a lot of designers go through is they they learn that just because something is complex doesn't make it better. And there's something about elegance to making streamlined mechanics, and that's the thing that you learn. But don't beat yourself up if it's not great, because you know, whether it's a game is great is 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 a relative thing because you may think the game's great, other people don't think it's great. Some people like Scythe, for example, other people don't. Doesn't mean the game's better or worse. It's just you make the game you want to play. Yeah. So you mentioned that you had a few other games that you've already had published. <laughs> what are some of those games? So the two, well, there was three, but one company went out of business in the early '90s. I played a lot in the 80s and 90s a lot of Car Wars, right? The original Car Car Wars game mm -hmm. was a you know auto combat game, very complex, very very slow turns. I don't know if they've done a re-release of it recently. So I was really into auto combat, and then you know that movie Death Race 2, 2000. If you've seen it, right? That's the whole concept of running over and killing pedestrians for points. I made a miniatures game with car with actually I took matchbox cars and glued Warhammer 40k weapons on it and had wooden boards and I made this game called Road Roadkill Rally played it for 10 years and it was bloated but it was a lot of fun and I was at the Kubicon which is the West Coast game convention and I saw that they have a game design contest so I kind of streamlined it down a little bit realizing that it was hard for some players to pick it up i submitted a contest just for fun the game did not win but it got the attention of z-man games and a friend of z-man sent it to z z-man and he said this is great and that was published i think 2005 and at that same year that i got second place my daughter who was eight at the time we designed a kids game because most kids games i think they're better now are horrible for parents i just i don't know if you guys only have a kid they're torturous like Candyland. i can't stand candy i can oh, deal God. with monopoly yeah. Yeah. i don't have any i don't have the, the monopoly bias other people have so my daughter eight-year-old daughter, whose name is august she's actually named after the game company the game company is older than she is it's funny but um it's yeah it's, it's kind of sick it's, it's a but quite a distinction we made a kids game called order up which is a pizza delivery game that's fun for kids and next year we submitted it under her name and she won the game design contest and z-man picked it up so incredible. you know awesome. and then i stopped designing for like seven years <laughs> that. i don't know i just was like okay and i did other things so yeah anyway yeah that's that was my first and i did a couple of games another kids game that was picked up called king of the mountain and the company went out of business before it came out unfortunate right so you know that's kind of some of the games that you've developed in the past uh but the new game that you've developed and actually part of the 
part of the reason that we have you on the show, is Dragon Brew. Um, and we have had a chance to play this on Tabletopia, where it's Oh, you actually available. didn't play it on Tabletopia. It's, it's hard to play in Tabletopia. <laughs> it's, it's tough. I actually, we only got through two-thirds of a game, if I'm being completely honest, because my hands oh, started cramping. Um, yes, I, I get it. There's a lot of pieces to move. Right, and yeah. this is, yeah, this is coming from, you know, I'm not a professional gamer, but I play a lot of video games. And so, you know, the fact that my hands started started cramping up after, you know, dragging the camera around and moving the pieces around is uh, quite a testament to the complexity of of the, the game and also of the system. But, so, this is your newest game, and Correct. it's just fantastically thematic you know you talked already about how theme is very important for you and i think that's absolutely something that comes through so when you were designing dragon brew a game in which fantasy races brew and sell and compete with beer what was the inspiration like what was there a lightning bolt that happened for you like how did you come up with this amazing idea I will totally tell you, it's a longer story, but I'll try to shorten it. There was a game that came out, I think, three or four years ago called Quilt Show. And I interviewed the designer, super great, super great couple. And it was a game, not like Dragon Brew, but it was a game about making quilts and earning, there was necessarily judges, but you earn prizes. And for something, I really enjoyed that game. And I'm not a quilting guy or anything, but I loved collecting the little, the little ribbons and i thought oh, i need a game where i get ribbons i just it's goofy but i really liked it so i my wife and i went christmas camping but all our kids were away one year and we went camping at the beach because that's what you could do in california <laughs> and and we we're drinking beer because we love beer and i always bring a notebook with me when i travel or when i you know and i started to just write down some notes about a worker placement game because i'm really a big fan of worker placement where it's collecting of resources but for a purpose not just points but to win points or to, to gain the favor of a kind of a randomized set of judges every every year mm-hmm. so the theme was quick i mean honestly like by the time the weekend was over i had the basics of the game it used to be more com- complex a little bit but yeah over the next six months i think it boiled down to be pretty manageable and it and what the game is to me is really about this. It, first of all, I like games with multiple ways to win. And I know you yeah. guys only played two-thirds of a game, but there's not one way to play. And that's it's something that's really important to me. Like, you could go quantity over quality, and you could go, you know, you want to go heavy magic, or you go a certain type type of arrow, you go money and able to buy certain ways to get victory points. So that was the other aspect. I spent a lot of time balancing and mathematically figuring out that the different paths to victory – then the other part of it, I guess the other side was I wanted to have variable races because I think that to me, I like games and everybody likes this. Everybody likes the different idea of different fantasy races having slightly different abilities. And it actually yeah. took a year to balance those out. It took a really long time because if you made any other change in a race or on a rule, it would modify the balancing. So we actually, mm-hmm. I mean, I play tested hundreds of games in a lot of different groups. And that was it. At that point, you know, I had the idea of the theme and the, the different judges and the screens and the card sizes. There was a lot of things about the size of the cards. And then I sat on it for about six months and then tested it for another year. And here here we are now. It's been done for about a year. Yeah, so I would just say that it was a kind of a seed that was planted in my head months, months earlier. And I, I really enjoyed the concept of war not being in a fantasy world and just that people mm-hmm. get get together and brew beer and drink instead i guess if that answers the question i guess it would be a better world 
It would be a better world. It's a world I want to live in. Yeah, it's a world I want to live in. And there's other things in the game. I mean, I don't know. You, If you read the rule book, like the idea of the gnomes. The gnome is the oppressed worker. And every yeah. card, I mean, you, it's hard to see in Tabletopia. Every card has it's somewhere a gnome being slight, slightly abused. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, boy, you know, floating in the water or under someone's boot or in someone's pocket. There's a lot of humor, too. I mean, yeah. for me, I think it's really yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I'll have to go back and, and take a closer look at the art. That's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I oh, definitely can I agree that with too? that. Can I mention something? Oh, about, yeah, totally. uh, the artist, Mac Hillier, is the first board game he's ever done art for. I found him on DeviantArt. Like, I like DeviantArt. I went in there, mm-hmm. I saw his stuff. He's an amazing guy. Super nice guy from Canada. Everybody in Canada is nice. <laughs> Pretty much convinced, convinced of that. And he did a great job. Like, he really, I think, added a, a layer on top of Dragon Brew of theme that was amazing. He added life into the game. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the balance that you actually mentioned. So a lot of the mechanics of the game, uh, you know, you have the different judges and uh, the different recipes that you can make. And I'm sure it took a while to figure out, like, how many of which one and, like, how many cards and everything like that that you had to actually put in the game. The first thing, I in college, I spent a, did a lot of econ classes and did a lot of time building financial models for my current work so i'm really good at building models what i did and i tell this to other designers is i picked a common currency in the game and kind of started that way and said look i use gold and say what is gold worth what is a, a victory point in gold what is a stat in a beer worth in gold like once you come up with a common a common currency then it's really much easier to, to balance everything out and then you kind of adjust it with your with your gut in the back end. Because the thing about Dragon Brew that's interesting to me is that the value of something changes. The game is only played over three years. or In the first year, certain things are worth more than they are at the last year. Definitely. Right? So upgrading your fields, if you could upgrade it turn one, you're going to get to use it for three, three turns. Versus buying a field upgrade the last turn is not going to be as valuable. So I had to balance that, which is why there's an event deck and kind of a brewery deck. And the event deck are kind of one-time bang for your bucks. In the beginning of the game, what tends to happen is that most of the upgrading takes place, and that deck goes really fast. Then towards the end of the game, there's more and more buying of the events and, like, one-time buys. or so Because people tend to have more gold at the end, too. So once I got that balanced out and I did it mathematically, for then it was just tweaking. You know what I mean? It just became yeah. like tweaks and gut and gut reactions. And it sounds really, really complicated. It's not. Once you figure out that common currency and work backwards, it's not like I took all these different variables and tried to make a match. I started with gold and go, okay, in this game, how much is a victory point going to be worth? And I said four to five gold. I think I said 4.5. How much is a worker worth? Four, four gold. How much is a stat? And, and you know, how much is each of the grains worth or a ward is worth? And once you figure out that common currency, then you can balance it everything out interesting so there's like a there's a baseline underlying logic to the value of everything correct and, then, and then well i mean obviously there is gold, it's... not a victory condition in the game it's it's a tie right it's a tiebreaker it's based right. on points ribbons and gold so which is kind of funny i used to have gold a, as points and i just found that once i remove gold as points like you have to use it or lose it it made the game better and that's actually something that my roommate, who I talked to about this game, mentioned that he really liked that aspect, that gold is a means to an end rather than being actual victory points at the end. 
Yeah, it, it made it easier to balance, too, right? Because someone could conceivably make a gold machine. Hmm. And then it, that's not what the game's about, right? The game is about making beer, right? Yeah. And again, if you look at the recipe card, so I didn't mention this, but the game for people who are listening, you have a barrel, which is like a type of beer, an ale or a dunkel, and then you have spice cards. And you can have as many spice cards as you want. And those cards all have names. So you can have like a card that says, you know, lucky, a card that says dungeon, you combine them with ale and you have lucky dungeon ale. And mm. those cards each have a certain amount of grains or warts or magic ingredients to brew the beer. And each of those cards is, is going to provide either stats, right? If you remember in the game, there's color, strength, and, and bitterness, yep. which the judges are going to be looking for. Every judge has a slightly different set of criteria. Mm -hmm. Or you have uh, some of those cards you remember give you victory points so there's some beers that don't give you very good stats but it gives you guaranteed points and there are other beers that are more gold heavy right and i tend to be yeah. someone who's early gold and i swap them out then for stats at the end but you could conceivably play the game with gold and use gold to 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 turn the event deck to get what you need i mean there are different ways and different races kind of lean towards different strategies. The the core eight races in the game don't lean as heavy, which is why they're the beginning eight. And once you get to the other races, those races become, in my opinion, harder to play, but lean heavier in a certain direction. They're certainly, I think, fun to play. Yeah, definitely. So actually about the races, uh, you yeah. mentioned earlier that they are asymmetrical, pretty much. Each one has a, at least one small thing that's a bit mm -hmm. different. When we played, we played the humans and the um, halflings. halflings. There we go. But then we looked through all the other races and read about what they do. Yeah. How difficult was it to actually like figure out what they do and then like f make sure that it actually worked for the game? Yeah. So once, I, and I, it's funny because I was talking to somebody today who was working on a game, and I say, don't make those specialty tweaks till you get the core bland version ready like every player is the same stats every because you know it's every player essentially has the same core cards right mm -hmm. the your estate starts off with eight cards of those eight cards six are almost identical there are some differences like storage and a few little things but that's it so no matter what everybody at least now has the same basic action some of the more advanced races which you've never seen do have bigger differences anyway so but I just made a bland version. Like literally everybody had exactly the same eight cards. And once you're able to balance it out and focus just on the pure game mechanics, then you think, oh, what would this race do? And I thought, okay, halflings. Halflings and humans are probably the most similar. Like halflings are really good farmers, right? And I think of them as being productive. So they actually have one, one my worker. They're not very rich. They start with not a lot of gold and they have extra storage for storing grain in the wintertime. If you remember, their grain storage was six. Yep. That was literally, I said, what's the theme? And then I just tweaked it just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then you play tested, play tested, play and play and play tested. That that was a little more gut thing. And like humans, if I go back to humans, humans mm -hmm. are very productive, but they have a trader. They have like a farmer's market mm -hmm. and they're always good at buying things with gold. Like they have like an unlimited kind of a, a, a market. So humans kind of to me act like capitalists a little bit, right? <laughs> Um, there we go. Or orcs. So orcs have the ability. They're horrible farmers. Like orcs are the worst farmers. They have. In fact, I oftentimes will never upgrade orc fields. But they have orc quote unquote borrow. They have borrowers which mm -hmm. go out and 
they don't steal from other players, but it kind of represents the surrounding lands. They're gathering extra gold and grain from other other people. So it's very, very thematic. Dwarves have a gold mine. They're always can always get gold. They're the easiest race to get to, to get gold. Elves are excellent at research. They have a great library. I'm, trying to, I'm going through all the races. Goblins <laughs> have, have a black market, which they can actually buy. You know how you draft cards? They can actually use a worker to draft a second card, which is awesome because if there's like two things they want, they, they can steal both. Actually, one of the ones that I was really interested in was the Dark Elves. Oh, so. I love the Dark Elves. Yes, that's one of the expansions. I'll describe what it is. So with the Dark Elves, so... All the other expansion races you haven't seen, there's actually, I have 22 races done. I think oh, wow. in there you saw 10. They get more, and I could tell you some of the other ones that I think are really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dark Elves, the level of players screwing and screwing with each other is not that high in Dragonbrew. And the reason is originally at higher levels, and the game is hard enough as it is because you have to really plan ahead and a lot of players were frustrated when they had this plan like literally when i play my whole turn is planned out i pretty much know exactly where my workers are going to go and if someone yeah. go and smash a building it ruins the fun right, right? and mm-hmm. it's a game that the game if played well is very tight and you, you know so anyway so Dark Elves are the only screwing race, and Dark Elves mean that they have a shadow judge. So during a year, a season, you're going to draw the number of judges equal to the number of players plus one, and they're going to lay out there. Well, the Dark Elves have shadow judges they keep, and before judging begins, they get to swap a, a judge from their hand or underneath their brewery with a judge out there. So, like, this judge was lying, and this is what he actually wants. So sometimes, and I play Dark Elf probably the more than anybody else has ever played half the time you end up screwing yourself but it's really fun <laughs> you know what i mean like i've yeah. given games up because i swapped the wrong way because there's that poker element you don't really know what everybody's going to be going for mm-hmm. so it's before so it's not a hundred percent screw but it's 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 chaos there's a couple other drugs there's one that's that's ogres which is on the stretch goal right now for mm-hmm. facebook likes where you actually place a worker on a judge and you will win that judge automatically if there's a tie in the first stat. Like, it's called intimidation. Like, you're going to put your sure, worker on yeah. the judge and be like, if we're tie, I'm going to win. So those sorts of things. And there's other there's things about switching judge p- positions and swapping because the order of the judges are judged from left to right. Yeah. As you can see, so there's those. That's what some of the other races are, higher levels of, of, of interaction. Yeah, and I think that's that's something that comes through in terms of, you know, the base races tend to be, you know, they're fairly straightforward, whereas when we, we sat down and we went and looked at the Kickstarter and looked through the advanced races, we said, wow, there's a lot of complexity here and, you know, kind of just commented on how, how difficult it must have been to find relative balance between, you know, for a halfling that gets an upgraded field at the beginning of the game, you know, that's that's easy to place a value on, but something that you can utilize from year to year that doesn't really exist anywhere in the game, like the Dark Elf power or like the Ogre power, that must have just been been so much harder to find. Just relating it back to what you kind of commented on, that gold standard, like that must have just been much harder to determine exactly what that power was worth. I think for some of the races it was easy because you think about every one of those player powers or most of those, like the Halfling is a field upgrade. There is a field upgrade card in the game right that's equivalent we know how much gold that costs and i think okay let's give it a little bit extra because you're going to get it the first the first turn so exactly a lot of the core eight player abilities are already abilities 
that you can get. Like, for example, the centaurs. I love the centaurs. So the centaurs could, once per year, use somebody else's space. That doesn't prevent them from using it. They basically get to, you know, come over there and, and it's the image on the card is amazing. Mm -hmm. It's a centaur, like, you know, you can tell this, there's a couple of humans wanting the centaur to go and he's staying there and drinking all their beer, right? <laughs> so it's called horse guests, right? That's a cool, that's a cool ability. But there's a spell that does that does exactly that too. Exactly so, yeah. you know, the core eight were really easy. The ones like the dark elf, how do you judge a dark elf? That's a hard power to put dollars. And I just play tested. I, I, um, yeah, I play tested a lot. <laughs> and that's important for any designer. Blind, yeah. blind play test. Don't just play with your friends and family. Once you get it going, just play. I mean, I probably played 200 games the first year. I've played so many games, just myself and with people. And if you think about Dragon Brew, which is a good and bad thing about it, it is skill. There is some luck to it, but luck is not a major part. It is Euro at its core. This is Euro with a very heavy theme. So if you have two players, one person is brand new and the other person is experienced, it is the experienced player will win 95% of the time. It's just the way it is. So it's a game that I think that some of the other races I have give those experienced players a challenge, right? It's yeah. There are some races, like the end, the Treants, mm -hmm. that don't have a magic trainer. They just don't have one. Hmm. And... And they only have five workers, but every time they harvest fields, they get a magic ingredient. Oh, wow. It just twists the game around in your head, and it's like really difficult. And they are very specialized, or there's there's just a lot of that kind of harder to play but really fun challenge. And that's what the other expansion races, which I do plan on making available for sale for very probably two dollars a race at some point because there's mm -hmm. not that many cars for a race. It's just we need to kind of get the first game out and that's mm, something yeah. we're planning to do probably by the end of the year so we've we've talked a lot about the races we've talked a lot about the balance but one of the things that we haven't talked about is really the the core mechanic of progressing through each year so you've got you know the game takes place over three years and each year has three seasons spring fall and winter and one of the things that occurred to us while we were playing it is that it's a really very streamlined system you know uh, spring you assign your workers fall you brew your beers and the beers get judged and then winter is is essentially just a reset phase so for all of the complexity with regards to the strategy with regards to you know which ingredients do i take which beers do i want to brew the actual process of you know going through each turn is really very simple and very elegant and it was something that that struck us as being just a very well designed aspect of the game did that take a lot of work or was that kind of something that just sprang out naturally of the okay well i've got these resource grabbing mechanics how am i going to turn that into action-based mechanics you know who deserves the credit and i'm going to be honest with you my wife deserves the credit so my wife is half of a gaming widow so her level of complexity for games is a little bit different than most of my other gaming people. And we play a lot of games, but she tends to like simpler games. And really over this and another game that she and I actually worked together called Treasure Mountain, she actually made the game better because my challenge was to make the game that she could pick it up and easily love it. And that was it. I mean, that was the whole thing was I wanted to make a game that my wife would play with me. It's sappy, but it's true. That literally is it. I like com complex games, so for me, you know, I guess it breaks my rule. I want to play the game I want to play, but I wanted to play with my wife. You know what I mean? So yeah. I and I think there is an elegance 
in boiling down mechanics. And, I, and, I, and I'm glad you guys noticed that the core mechanics of the game are really simple. You start off, it's like, okay, you have you know, six paces in your brewery, and you place a guy, and you take an action. That's it. I think where you, you guys see is it does have a lot of different strategy and planning yeah. because there's the recipes you have and the judges that are there. Mm-hmm. And what's in my estate? What's my risk? How do I win as many judges? Or how do I not win judges and make as much money or as much points as possible? And that, that connection, I think, is what people – I think are fun. I think people love that. And it's a game that I feel like your first play, you're going to be like, Oh, I made tons of tons of mistakes and your second play. And by the third yep. or fourth play, you'll be, you'll be here. I mean, you'll be like, we play, we play very fast. There's a, the people I'm playing with tonight, we've probably played 50 games. We used to play at work at lunch mm-hmm. a few times a week. We used to work in the same office. We're fast. We could get a we could get a three player game in less than an hour, and we're so competitive. There have been multiple times we all have the same points at the end of the game, and we're at the point where we can see what ingredients they're taking to figure out what recipe cards they have. We remember we try to remember what cards they were grabbing, and it's fun. That's that's where the game is. It's fun for a beginner player, and it's fun for experienced players because it ramps up, I guess. And that's something yeah. I'm proud of, and I can't say I planned for it. It just kind of happened. Yeah, we definitely really appreciate the like the simple mechanics that hide that really deep gameplay and one of my favorites in the entire game is the fact that uh, when you brew you have that one barrel and then you add the spices to it i think both thematically and as a game mechanic it adds so much yes and the names are awesome yes (laughs) yes. yeah definitely and that is for my theater part of me, right? And, I, and I've always wanted to have that, have a game where you could kind of build your own things. I mean, what's funny, because when we when we play, I have some people that we really have a very dramatic about. We introduce and we, we always say at Backstory, there's a variant to the game, which I'll publish somewhere, where uh, players will vote on whoever presents their beers the best. And they get an <laughs> extra point, right? There's, there's different, you know, things like that. And we have a lot of fun with stories. And then you, you say, you know, back again for the third year in a row, blank. And you know, and you, it's fun. That's mm-hmm. something that is fun. I do like the names. It's again, it's pure theme. It's nothing to do with mechanics. And that's the thing that I think that I get some people who don't like Euro games will play this game because of the theme. They won't notice. Right. Yeah. It kind of it kind of uh, slow plays them and drags them in. But yeah. So you know, we really appreciate the simplicity, and now we can uh, appreciate the inspiration for that too. Ah, the inspiration was drinking beer at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> A good inspiration as any, right? That's right. That's right. You know, and that's the thing that I think that uh, to go back to people who are beginning to do games is it's harder to make a simple game than it is to make a com- complex game. Yeah. I really believe that. You know, complex, like those old Avalon Hill games, I'm not saying they're easy, but they're easier. It is, I mean, for uh, most yeah. of the games that I quote unquote fail, and I don't call them fit failures, they're just games that don't make it past a certain point. And I bank those things. There are things in this game or mechanics that I put in a game I made five years ago and it failed. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, it failed to me. I didn't want to say fail. I didn't do anything with it and I yeah. pulled that back out and used it. So it's just getting the right mixture of that elegance and mechanics is very hard. And to me, I mean, maybe there are designers that do it every single time they try. I don't. But you know what I mean? It takes time. Right. And, yes. and I'm, I have a job and I have kids <laughs> and I like to do other things too, other than play games. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a work of passion for you. Correct. So speaking of which, let's dive into a little bit about the choice to go to Kickstarter for this game rather than maybe Z-Man or a different publisher that yeah. you've worked with. 
So I actually looked at self-publishing 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Actually wrote wrote Corelli, but I debated it. I think that what's happened as someone who paid attention, I guess who's paid close attention at what's happening to printing and distribution and things like 3D printing and print on demand and people mm-hmm. like Game Game Crafter, which I yeah. use Game Crafter, uh, print and play productions, those kind of things to do my prototypes. I have a garage full of cutting equipment and stuff that I've had for 20 years that I don't even use anymore. It's because it's so much easier to spend just a little bit of money to have people do it. So, so yeah. like, so anyway, so I, so part of my, I guess, the inspiration to use um, Kickstarter was when I did Roadkill Rally. There were, and I don't want to say that that Z-Man made bad choices, but he made different choices than I would have made in some of the art and the the books. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I said, well, God, I'd like to, you know, do that. I would like to make some art choices and pick pick the art and lay things out. And I did all the the graphic layout in Dragon Brew. Mm-hmm. I'm not a professional graphic artist. I just have made so many prototypes for the last 20 years. I'm okay at it now. Okay. So I hate to say it's control, but it's true. I wanted artistic control. So there was a group of friends and people actually I met at game conventions over the years. There's about 10 of us. And we're like, we should just all do a Kickstarter. We should all, because we're just fun people. So we pooled our money together and take look you know we could have tried to do a direct direct print print mm-hmm. run we could have afforded to do a direct print run but there's something about kickstarter that allows you to test the market yeah so a couple of things that we decided to do is i have backed a lot of kickstarters and i didn't want to have the same mistakes that other kickstarters had like number one 99 percent of all the art for dragon brew is done the only thing that's not done is some of the few pieces of art for the expansion races that are stretch goals we yeah. don't want to pay to have stretch goals you know right right away if we don't need them right away but mm-hmm. like if the kickstarter closed and it closes on march 3rd on march 4th i'm gonna say a good okay this is what's gonna be in the box i'm gonna we're gonna wrap up the graphics we're gonna take another pass of the rule book and by within two weeks, it's off to the printer. Mm-hmm. So I wanted a fast. The other thing we wanted to have, you know, transparency. The fact we have it up on Tabletopia. One of the reasons it's up on Tabletopia is that we actually used it for play testing. Yeah. So it was a. And one thing about Tabletopia, it's a little bit weird to, to learn to to set games up and even playing games. Mm-hmm. I'm fast now in t- Tabletopia. It's just, you feel like you have to spend twice as many calories to do everything than on a board. <laughs> and games take a lot longer. Like moving a block, you got to click on that block inside of it. You can yeah. just pick it up with your hand. Yeah. We, it was, you were able to make changes to cards graphically without printing on paper, right? You can yeah. say, oh, this card's broken. Let me upload the new cards. And we, I had all the expansion races all laid out. And that's how we tested the expansion races. I did not print one set of cards for the expansion races. Everything was done solely in Tabletopia, where people could just come and test it at any time. And sometimes we didn't play a complete game. You played a few turns, and you're like, oh, this is broken, right? (laughs) Or or we would say, what happens when you mix certain races in certain ways? Like, what happens if you take Dark Elves and Ogres? Do those mechanics clash? Do they break, Mm -hmm. right? Because, for example, the Dark Elves swap swap out judges. Well, the Ogres claim judges. Well, it was determined that the ogre would be trumped by the dark alpha delay. Those little things like that that are little subtle things that a lot of times you don't forget. 
oh, you forget to do in the rules. So so things like that, like transparency. The rule book is out there. I'll have print and play files up. Our goals, maybe, I don't want to promise April, but I don't know why we can't do a print and play really, really early. You know, amazing. I mean, the graphic yeah. files are done. It's just laying them out in a format that's printable, like eight and a half by 11 sheets. Makes sense. Other things that were important was to keep the price low. I mean, we are not making money, a lot of money in Dragon Brew. I mean, we'll, our goal is just to break even and have fun. I mean, to be honest yeah. with you, that's it. You know, we you know, we have other games. I have another game which has actually been ready for before Dragon Brew called Treasure Mountain, if you want to hear about it later. But Dr Dragon Brew had such a strong theme, we felt like it was a good opening game. And our goal is just to make games every year and do one game a year. And maybe sometime we'll make money, but sometimes not. There's enough of us that we spread the labor around so nobody yeah. is out of it and and it's not only my game designs we have my friend dave has a great chocolate game he's been working on i would love to have Ooh, that to publish delicious. that too yeah i'm a baker so you know you've got the beer drinker over here the oh, baker yeah. over here so <laughs> nice. nice anyways that's the question about kickstarter we chose kickstarter because it was a way to pre-sell the game yeah um kickstarter is though right now it's a saturated market i cannot mm -hmm. believe how many games are on yeah. um, kickstarter this month and it's it's more difficult than we thought. I mean, I have friends who have done a lot of Kickstarters, and it seems like every year the rules are changing and the dynamics of the markets are changing. There's a few people making a lot of money and a lot of people making just very little, which is fine. Yeah. You know, right. again, we, we're not going into this to quit our jobs and become full-time game people. That's not our goal. Our goal is we love this game. It, it was made for passion. It was not made to publish. It was good enough to do. That's really it. We're like, oh, this is good enough. We should totally publish this. And so we pooled some money to afford to pay the art up front. And that's really it. You know, would we skip using Kickstarter again? Maybe. I know that there are other publishers, right? Like Jamie, right? Didn't he just, yeah. Jamie Stegmaier announced he's not going to use Kickstarter anymore? Yeah, he's like the Kickstarter guru who decided to stop using Kickstarter. Yeah. I think there are costs. Kickstarter is about 8 to 10% off the top. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a market of established customers you can pre-sell on your own, why have you don't yeah. need it, right, I guess? Sure. We could have paid for the print run, but part of it was like a pre-marketing check. Like, oh, is yeah. this a game people really want? <laughs> you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And, and it, that pre-sell is nice. And I think that pre-sell helps you give some credibility with distributors and stores. Mm -hmm. It's a tough it's a tough market. I mean, I know people who've done three or four Kickstarters who... I have a friend, Ben Haskett of Undyne Studios. I just had beers with him, actually, an hour away from here last night. And he's just like, the market's changing. And he's prepared. Again, he has a regular job. And there's so many. I mean, I don't know how many game publishers, that's all they do. There's, I don't know what, what percentage, but I bet the majority don't. That's not their only job. So yeah. we're all doing the best we can. We love games. And that's one thing I just want to say, too. The support that I have received from other game publishers like Michael Cove of Tiny Epic, Cosmic Wombat Games, Undyne Studios, Jamie's generosity for posting the stuff he, he has has been awesome. You know yeah. what I mean? People really do. Most of the people in the board game community there are amazing people. You know, and I have also my I have the same philosophy is that share everything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then share information. We're all in the same boat. I, I don't feel like me not sharing information about a good distributor, a way to get games to Europe ship free, it yeah. doesn't help everybody for me to hide that information. I share it. I want everybody to know about it. I want, you know, I want more games. Exactly. You know what I mean? I'm like you. I have a game addiction. Yep. Um, <laughs> 
though I might spend as much on making games and buying games. I don't know, I have to figure that out. But um, that's one thing I want to say is the board game community of you know des- designers and publishers are just amazing, amazing people. Great. I mean, that's awesome to hear. And I know that Kickstarter is definitely one of my favorite places. I love supporting game designers and all that. And well, we really appreciate you coming on today and talking a little bit about Dragon Brew and the whole process behind the game. We just wanted to thank you for coming on and thank everyone for listening. Definitely check out the Kickstarter, which is up right now. It goes till March 3rd. And That's correct. Please back it. It's a really fun game. Check it out on Tabletopia as well. The other thing that we wanted to just mention is that uh, WashingCon is on September 9th and 10th this year. We are sponsors again for that, and uh, tickets go on sale on March 1st, so definitely check that out as well. All right, well, thanks for listening.